This morning I want to speak to you from the subject, God's Law of Liberty. And this sermon is more of an introduction to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. We will be looking at some background introductory uh, themes today. And we will not actually be dealing with any particular law, but uh, general matters related to the law of God. Nevertheless, let us look at Exodus chapter 20, and I'll read the first 17 uh, verses. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. God's Ten Commandments. Last week we were reminded of God's gospel. The Lord condemned Egypt. He judged all of the false gods of Egypt and showed compassion on his covenant people by delivering them and then bearing them on eagles' wings and bringing them to himself. And our identity grows out of this gospel of God and his kingdom. God called Israel to careful obedience and covenant loyalty in order to be his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
There is no question, as we think about this subject, God's law of liberty, there is no question that Israel was called out of the iron furnace of Egypt in order to have an impact on the surrounding nations and lead them to the Lord's house in order to be taught his ways of righteousness and peace. This is one of the purposes of living according to God's law. It's not the only purpose, obviously, but it is one of the purposes. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And the reason why is it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your life of great, grateful obedience, your life of gratitude, of joy in obeying God in response to his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that great, grateful, obedient response is meant to influence the world and have a felt, tangible impact and influence that can be measured. Jesus said, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The fruit Jesus was referring to was love, love for one another, which is in the words of Christ and Paul, respectively. Love is the summation of the law, and the prophets. Jesus said, In all things do unto others as you would have others do unto you. This is the law and the prophets. And Paul said that this call to love is the very fulfilling of the law. We must never underestimate the impact and influence holy living has not only on our fellowship with God, but on, but on our fruitfulness in this world. Again, chapter 19 ended with a terrifying encounter for Israel with the holy God. We saw, however, in Christ that holiness has now touched our lives through Jesus' blood and sacrifice and has made us his very own people. Therefore, we come to a, a very different mountain and experience a very different atmosphere, one of joyful assembly, a justified status, celebrating with the angels. Our names are written in heaven. We are rejoicing with those in heaven. And it's all because of Jesus' blood, which speaks forgiveness, acceptance, reconciliation, and adoption over our lives. Because of Jesus' covenant, 
which makes us the very temple, the dwelling place of God. And this triune God desires to extend his kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit through you. One way the Lord designed to extend his kingdom through you is by your obedience to his law of liberty in light of Christ, his work for you, and his work in you. Your grateful and joyful obedience to Jesus because of his love for you and his lordship in and over you is evidence of his presence and power in your life. And it bears witness to the value and the validity of his cross and his resurrection. When there is no evidence of change in your life, there is no evidence of Christ in your life. One chief reason the church today lacks impact and influence like it ought to have is because those outside of the church see really nothing different in the lives of those who claim to belong to Jesus Christ. Does your life give unbelievers a reason to believe in Christ and to glory in his cross and crown? Does your lifestyle cause conviction of sin in those who don't belong to Christ because they see the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in you, even though they may not know what the Holy Spirit is, but they see the distinction, they see the difference in the way you live. These were real expectations, even for Israel in the Old Covenant. Moses said in Deuteronomy 4, See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? If this impact on the nations was a real expectation in the life of Israel in the Old Covenant, how much more should our life in Christ have, a, have even a far greater impact on the nations around us? With these things in mind, let us look at these commands in their Old Testament context and how in Christ they have been fulfilled for us and also are fulfilled in us, as we walk by the Spirit, as those who belong to Christ and have been adopted in Him by God. 
By way of introduction to these commands this week, I want us to look at four purposes of God's law. Uh, there may be others, but we're going to look at these four purposes. Uh, when studying anything, it is essential, uh, obviously, to understand its purpose given by God. That said, in the first place, the law is a, it's a gift from God. Bruce Walkey, in his Old Testament theology, makes this point quite clear. The Apostle John also does this in the first chapter of his account of the Gospel, where he says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And in this statement, he's highlighting that the giving of the law was also a grace. Though obviously, in Jesus, we have a far and infinitely far greater grace. But nevertheless, the law of God uh, that was given to Moses was also a grace. It was a gift given uh, to him. Paul also, in referring to the law, says, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. For the psalmist... The giving and possession of the law, uh, as, as uh, he says in Psalm 147, was a reason to praise the Lord. It's something that no other nation had. We praise the Lord for his law because, number one, it reveals God's character. The first reason of the four is that the law reveals God's character. All creation, as it says in Psalm 19 and also in Romans 1 and in other places in the Bible, all creation declares God's glory, His eternal power, and divine nature, and it does these things in such a way that it leaves us without excuse. It calls us to honor God. It calls us to give thanks to God. Creation itself is enough to lead you to thank God and to honor Him and to, and to have conviction that that there is a God, that He exists. People who, who affirm uh, evolution and that, that all this got here by chance or by some kind of big bang are, are missing the grandeur, the splendor, the majesty of what, what is here to see. There's no way on earth, literally, that this earth got here by chance. It's obviously designed meticulously and beautifully by someone who is far greater than itself, than it is. The law of God goes even beyond creation. The law of God does more in revealing the character of God than even creation does. God's law shows you what God is like on a personal level. You remember when God created, he spoke things into existence, and the distinction that you find in the creation account in chapter 1 of Genesis is that when God got to man and woman, it says that God spoke to them. He spoke to them. He is in a, a personal relationship, a covenant relationship with his people, 
unlike that of the rest of creation. After all, we, uh, his people, were, were elected before the foundation of the world. He had us in mind before he even made the world. The law of God reveals this, that, that God is, is personal. It reveals what values he has. And, and what brings him joy and what arouses his, his fury. The law of God shows us in shadowy form God's moral perfections, his righteousness, his purity, his truth, his wisdom, his faithfulness, among other things. This is one reason the law is considered a gift of God's grace, because God's law reveals God's very own character. In the second place, God's law reveals your calling. God's law reveals your calling. For Israel and for you, God's law graciously shows you how to live in response to being saved and redeemed by God. The Lord is the great King. He did not deliver Israel out of slavery, and He did not deliver you out of slavery to sin to rule your own lives, to make up your own rules. That is how Adam and Eve, as you know, were led astray in the Garden of Eden. And it is the same way we are led astray today. If, if you're honest, every single time you are tempted to sin, it is a temptation to be autonomous. It's a temptation to govern yourself. It's a temptation to claim divinity. We are tempted to go our own way, to be like God, and to decide for ourselves, without the benefit of God's law, what is right and what is wrong. We want to make up our own rules. Just like Invictus, we want to be master of our fate. But we are image bearers, which in the most basic definition means we are called to reflect the character of our Creator. And obeying the law does reflect the character of our God. God's law reveals our calling. However, in the process of pursuing this calling and seeking to be obedient, seeking to respond to the grace of God, seeking to respond to being redeemed, and we discover the third purpose of the law, God's law reveals your corruption. God's law reveals that you are contaminated by lawlessness, and you are thereby condemned by the very law that's meant to bring life. Paul said, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes 
the knowledge of sin. He goes on to say, if it, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. These words are found in Romans 7. What a mixed blessing it is to be convicted and made to feel guilty because of the law so that you might then look for relief and rescue from its condemning and accusing prodding. Paul said in another place, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. It's in Galatians 3, verse 10. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Truly the letter of the law, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, the letter of the law kills us. It doesn't kill us softly, it kills us harshly. It leaves us just like it left Israel, like dead, dry, disconnected bones in a valley without help, without hope in their statutes. The law can't make your heart holy. It reveals how unholy your heart is. It reveals what a wretched body of death outside of Christ there is. God's law reveals your corruption, your contamination, your condemnation, which brings us to the final and fourth point regarding the gracious gift of God's law. One that more than matches the first purpose that we talked about the revelation of God's character. God's law, number four, God's law reveals your cure. It reveals Jesus. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. If you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. Jesus said everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is the very Word of God. He embodies everything God has ever wanted to say to human beings. Jesus is the image of the living God. And so even more than the law of Moses, in Jesus Christ we see not just a reflection of God, but God himself in the flesh. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father, there is truly nothing left to see. In Jesus, we also see far more than we do in the law. God's aim in saving us is to conform us to the image of his Son. 
on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus, God the Father came down on the mountain, just like here in Exodus 19 and 20. Only this time there was but one command. And that command was, listen to my beloved, chosen, well-pleasing Son. At Sinai, God gave us ten. On the Mount of Transfiguration, God gave us one. Listen to Jesus. Behold him. Listen to him. That was his command. Give your full and undivided attention to every single thing said by Jesus. Jesus is God's word. He is the fulfiller of the law and the prophets, among so many other things. Jesus is our calling. He not only reveals the character of God perfectly, because he is God, but he is, he is the revelation of our very calling. What does he say in the gospel accounts? He says, follow me. That's the calling. Follow me. He simplifies and sums up and embodies everything found in the Ten Commandments. So much so that he can simply say, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Come follow me. Jesus does not make God's laws obsolete. No, he fulfills them and adds flesh to them and shows us how they are to be carried out in relation to God and to others. And that's the clear breakdown of the Ten Commandments is laws related to God more specifically, and laws related to people, more specifically. They're each, as we'll see, related to both the others, but we know that breakdown. We've heard of it many times. In Jesus, we also see that, there, that he is distinct from us, though he shares our human nature. Because the law reveals our corruption, but it doesn't reveal any corruption in Christ. We are broken by sin. He is not. He was broken on Calvary because of our sin, not because of his. The law reveals our corruption and contamination, but it reveals Jesus' complete cleanliness and absolute perfection. This should lead you to bow in worship like the angels in heaven unceasingly do, but it should also lead you to repeatedly run to Jesus for daily cleansing and salvation. The Apostle Paul said to the church in Galatia, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith, by faith in Jesus, not by the law. You know the illustration, you've heard it many times, that when you get up in the mirror and you look in the mirror and you see what needs to be done, you see your hair needs to be 
needs to be combed or, or, or perhaps washed. You, you see your face needs to be washed. You have sleep in your eyes, eyes. You see all kinds of things wrong, but you don't take the mirror off of the wall to fix those things. And that's what the law is like. It's a mirror. It shows you yourself clearly. No, the mirror sends you to the sink to get washed. It sends you to the shower to get washed. And just like the law, the law sends you to Calvary. It sends you to Jesus to get washed. When you came to Christ, you were redeemed from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of Spirit through faith. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive Jesus Christ Himself. He is the Spirit of Christ who comes to glorify Christ. And even more, the Holy Spirit, because we have been adopted by God through Christ, the Father sends the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. And because of Christ, the Holy Spirit does a great work within you. God takes out of you a heart of stone and puts in you a heart of flesh. And he puts his spirit in you. And by his spirit, he causes you. The prophet Ezekiel says, he causes you to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. Remember? What God said to his people in chapter 19 of Exodus, how he bore them on eagles' wings, and he says, Now if you will utterly obey, if you'll be careful to obey me and be loyal to my covenant, well, the Spirit of God works that care in us so that we will be careful to obey the rules. Through Jesus and the new covenant that he establishes, the law of the Lord as the prophet Jeremiah said, is now put within us and written on our hearts. Jesus comes to you and fulfills the law. He circumcises your heart in order that you might love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It was said of the law in the Old Covenant, in the Old Covenant, this is what was said of the law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. It's in Deuteronomy 32, verse 47. That's what was said of the law in the Old Covenant. How much more in Christ has this been fulfilled? Jesus is the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is our life. By this word, by Jesus, we live forever. Starting at conversion, we receive eternal life. We see and can appreciate and understand God's law so much more clearly in Christ Jesus. When we behold him and his glory revealed at Calvary, we are transformed into his very image from one degree of glory to another by the Holy Spirit. 
In the coming weeks, we will remind ourselves that in Christ and because of God's gift of His Son and Spirit, His gift of the law is not burdensome, but a delight to follow. As we behold Christ in His glory at Calvary, the empty tomb, the risen Lord, the coming King. Every day, let God's law show you His glory as it is seen in Christ Jesus' face. Let the law and its fulfillment in Christ show you your brokenness and remaining sin and lead you not to despair, but to flee to Calvary, to flee to Christ for forgiveness and for cleansing from all that is in you that is unrighteous. John said to believers, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. What a gift the law is in the way it reveals Christ, the cure for our contamination, corruption, and condemnation. But not only that, but, but in light of the cross, in light of Calvary, think afresh each day of how that law is in fact fulfilled in your daily life. Paul said that the whole law is fulfilled in this one single word, love your neighbor the way you love yourself. After all, that's what Jesus did for you. Jesus is the best neighbor anyone has ever had. A neighbor, as Jesus taught us in the parable of the Good Samaritan, is, is someone who is in need. Someone who is in need. And you are able to show love and care for them and help them. When you see someone in need, Jesus teaches us to see our selves. What, what would you want in that same circumstance? And that's what you do for them. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus wanted for us to love him and serve him. That's what he created us for. And so when he came to this world, he loved you and served you. And in light of Christ, in light of that love, in light of that service, we look at these ten laws not as something burdensome, but we see Jesus revealed to us in these commandments. And we respond to his grace, we respond to his mercy, we respond to his love, we respond to his lordship. We respond to the gospel of the kingdom. And we beseech and zealously cry out to Jesus to come and rule over our lives because it's such a blessing to have Jesus running our life, governing our life by way of these particular laws, by conforming us to his very image and likeness and calling us to love one another and to love our neighbor. And included in that call to love neighbor is to love our enemies. To live a life of love is our calling. That's how the kingdom 
spreads. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of Jesus' lordship. And it is a it is a powerful, blessed weapon when it is used properly in the name of Christ. We love because he first loved us. And loving God is not burdensome. It's an easy yoke. It's a light burden when we consider the burden of our guilt and sin taken by Jesus to Calvary and God's wrath poured out on him. That sort of gracious love and mercy should melt us to daily want to be careful about obeying God, that our lives might be pleasing to him, fruitful for him, useful for him, valuable in this world, as we reflect the character and beauty of the one who has saved us and given every single spiritual blessing to us in Jesus Christ so that our life might have the influence and the impact in this world it was meant to have. May God bless you and keep you always in Christ Jesus.